Hello, and welcome to Floor 9's Holiday Shopping Special, our penultimate episode of 2022. As ever, I'm your host, Ryan Miller, and joining me as always is my co-host, Adam Simon. Adam, taking some liberty and assuming you've made the proverbial nice list this year, what's the top your wish list this season? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got two for you. I'll fill in the blanks. So number okay. one is a digital meat thermometer. So I can like watch Ooh. my meat smoking from my window and in real time, see how it's faring on my phone through a connected application. Very high tech for all your foodies out there. And the second also revolving around fire and smoke is a new GPU. NVIDIA 40 series, <laughs> I think that it would definitely upgrade my performance, but uh, might lead to some smoking and flare-ups at my home computer. But that's are what you, I got on my list. Are you going to use your uh, new GPU to uh, smoke some meat? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> I, I think I might have the potential to, considering that I've got some out-of-date components inside of my computer. Otherwise, it may be prone to some smoking and fire. So I got some brisket over computer top uh, coming your way for the holiday. All right. Well, uh, I can't wait to see that in action. I feel like that would be very popular on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> I think I uh, have a creator lifestyle coming my way. But <laughs> anyways, we're here to talk about holiday shopping. And despite what I actually want sitting under my tree, I want to talk about some of the more general trends that we're seeing in the marketplace. So despite some of those negative headlines that have really indicated otherwise, I think that the 2022 holiday shopping season seems to be shaping up a little better than most people actually anticipated. Spending remains strong at brick and mortar locations, and there's signs of renewed vigor across e-commerce channels. When we looked at insider intelligence, they actually forecast that Cyber Monday and Black Friday are going to account for $12 billion and $10 billion respectively in e-commerce sales, despite single-digit year-over-year growth. So Adam, all that said, it seems like every year there's an increase of number of folks shopping online as opposed to in-person. Do you think COVID supply chain issues are resolved at this point, or do you anticipate logistical challenges persisting? Oh, I mean, it seems like there's definitely going to be some some logistical challenges. We've seen rumors that Apple has had to um, cut back iPhone production, for example, mm. from because of lockdowns in China. And uh, Apple, of course, famously has one of the best global operations mm -hmm. uh, teams in the entire world. So if Apple is facing those headwinds, you can bet that a lot of the other things that uh, folks are are hoping for to uh, to unwrap this uh, holiday season, that they also might be a little bit behind. I think that's the biggest question mark in my mind around holiday spending. To your point, uh, there's a, been a ton of uh, consumer spending is still up, mm. um, which is sort of flying in the face of everything that we're reading about uh, the recession and inflation. <laughs> People are still spending money. <laughs> so I think the bigger question is going to be, are they going to be able to get the things that they want in time for the holidays? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And just trying to unpack that a little bit more. Do you think it's more in the like last mile delivery space and overall logistics? Or are we still not have the availability of some of those high demand uh, pieces that we need to make these technologically advanced devices like chips in that month sort of thing? I think it's really earlier in the supply chain. From everything mm. that I'm reading, we there are there are empty containers going back and forth between the US and China. Wow. And uh, that was, as we know, a, a big problem um, early and even, even up until relatively late in the pandemic was just uh, shipping container capacity. But it mm. seems like that's been resolved. So it seems like it's more on the manufacturing side and, and less on the fulfillment side of things. But I think we won't really know 
know until we until we see because I bet you there are a lot of uh, a lot of manufacturers out there and a lot of brands out there who you know don't fully have visibility into their supply chain through the mm. end of the year. So I think there's going to be a little bit of a question mark um, around the the fulfillment. Maybe it'll be uh, like with the consumer spending. Maybe it'll turn out to be better than we anticipated, and we can actually say, okay, most of this is actually behind us now. That's my optimistic take. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that we at the lab sometimes talk about the concept of slow commerce, you know, opting into delayed delivery in favor of some additional benefit. But something tells me that the holiday season is not exactly the right time to experiment with that kind of model. <laughs> no, it definitely isn't. Even if you think that you're ordering and, and buying early, uh, I would. I think everybody, given the past few years, will feel more secure when they actually have those packages in their hands and not putting them at risk for missing the holidays just because they they thought they were doing, you know, something they thought they had enough time. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we all are are savvy enough at this point to realize that uh, we don't necessarily know. So I, I don't expect I think that the the slow commerce thing might pick up in, in 2023. But mm -hmm. I think for the rest of this year, uh, folks are mostly going to be looking to make sure they have things in hand. I also think that might though shift a lot of people to um, buy online and pick up in store, which is something mm -hmm. that a lot of folks had been doing for our, in our pre-COVID holiday seasons um, that had been really been picking up. I think we're going to see a lot more of that as well, which is a nice way to sort of reduce some of the uh, the, the carbon expenditure overhead of shipping, um, and but also make sure that you can have something in hand and that it's not going to get delayed in transit. Yeah. And I think we're starting to see companies experiment with different kinds of models too, like shared pickup locations outside of the physical store itself, like those lockers that people can visit in order to retrieve their goods. So I definitely think there's going to be more people moving in person to receive their items as opposed to relying on that package to show up on December 24th or whenever it might be. Oh yeah. If it's shown up on December 24th, you've uh, you're <laughs> done something horribly wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So we talked a little bit about what insider intelligence had to offer, but also looking at Deloitte's 2022 holiday service, uh, delivering customer experience and or excellent customer experience could be a key differentiator amongst brands. And for me, I, I think that just means helping me get to where I need to be as quickly as possible. But what do you think that means for brands, Adam? Quick delivery, omni-channel availability, what kinds of offers and services stand out to you, both as a consumer and also as a marketer? Yeah, I mean, I think for brands that have that have overcome their supply chain issues, I think that those last minute gifting and the ability to get those things to consumers fast is going to be key. I, because mm. as we said, I think there's inevitably somebody is going to run into some logistics challenges, right? So um, finding a replacement for a gift that might have been delayed till past the holiday season, I think is going to be a, a sort of key tipping point this year and, and probably honestly for the foreseeable future. And that can be by online pickup and store. It could also be courier delivery, which is uh, something that, you know, I feel like we don't talk about enough anymore, but the, yeah. the option to have somebody bring, you know, for a relatively small fee, bring something to you, uh, I feel like is going to be increasingly popular. And uh, yeah, I, I think I think that it's going to be about communicating the brands that can communicate real time availability to consumers or near real time availability. I think that's going to be increasingly important as we navigate this um, more complex holiday season. 
Yeah. And for brands that don't go through owns and operated channels, I think it's imperative that their product is, you know, disseminated across a ton of different retailers to make sure that consumers have the option to find what they want wherever they happen to be shopping. So like I said, omni-channel availability, not only making sure that you're well spread out across retailers, but making sure people can buy through mobile, through text, all the different ways that people are engaging with shopping experiences today, as opposed to going into store into the store with their kids and finding that favorite toy that resonates with them. Yeah, and I think the, the most critical thing is going to be to actually deliver in time for the holidays, right? <laughs> so I do think that if for some reason there are unexpected delays, it'll be about figuring out a way to compensate consumers in a way that feels meaningful and is mm. not uh, dismissive of the fact that it's an important time of year for folks to get things uh, on uh, when they expect them. Um, obviously, you know, shipping delays happen. Sometimes it's out of the brand's control. It might right. not be the supply chain. It might be your your, your fulfillment providers. Um, but making sure that there's a plan to uh, make sure that those consumers feel like they're taken care of, uh, because uh, you know, obviously, you can't necessarily change all of those things and fix them in real time. But making sure that I think it's going to be important to make sure that those consumers feel taken care of. Otherwise, they're going to have go into 2023 with a negative perception of your brand and be less likely mm. to buy from you in the future. And I think that that's, that's the sort of key that we're trying to avoid. So then what is a fair value exchange for those consumers who are missing out on timely delivery? Is it a future coupon code to incentivize purchase across your brand sites in the future? Like what what is that thing without the brand having to sacrifice too much of its revenue value, whatever it might be? That's a great question. I think that if there, if it is possible to substitute a uh, a smaller item or to, mm. to basically give consumers a small gift in exchange that they can, something that they can wrap and hand to the, the the gift recipient, even if it's not the full thing, along with that, this is coming in January type of uh, message. Um, at least that gives them something. And, uh, you know, especially if it's a higher value item, uh, I think that most, you know, most, most people will be okay with that. Obviously for children, it's a little bit of a different mm. calculation. <laughs> it's not quite satisfying, but I think it's giving them something to make them feel like you're, you're doing everything in your power to, yeah. uh, to, to get things to them. Um, and I think consumers, you know, are for the most part understand that, that things are more complicated than they were a few years ago in terms of fulfillment and logistics, but it's just, having that plan in place, right? If you don't have a symbolic yet lower value item that you can sub in, uh, it's probably too late to start planning for that this year, yeah. but it's probably something to think about in the future. But it's okay that if it's too late to start planning for this year, because there are ways to retroactively make waves as a brand and, you know, curry some of that favor back amongst consumers. Just a personal anecdote, I ordered an item over the summer, a soccer jersey. And just the other day, I received a uh, scarf in the mail as a sorry for delaying my shipment by two days. So just like a simple item, a couple of dollars spent by the brand in order to, like I said, curry that favor back. I think it does go a long way in building that relationship with the consumer and, you know, making a repeat customer out of that person. Yeah, I think that it has to be meaningful and it has to be um, clear that you understand that you're causing the consumer some pain. Mm -hmm. I have a counter example that actually a friend and I <laughs> recently spoke about because we uh, we both received from a brand that will go unnamed because I'm not going to shame them on the podcast. <laughs> not a client, thankfully. Um, that uh, uh, basically had had a lot of logistics problems earlier in the year and there were mm -hmm. a lot of delayed orders. Both of us had experienced delayed orders that were not delayed by a few days, but literally delayed by weeks um, that show up later. Um, okay, something happened, obviously. <laughs> um, and they... Uh, out of the blue, out of nowhere, sent uh, uh, both of us um, a, a little package that included a little 
coupon card for, I think it was 35% off a future purchase, which is pretty mm. significant. Um, but um, along with some, uh, some, some hot sauce, and there was a joke about it. Sorry, we were a hot mess, basically. <laughs> um, and it's like, okay, uh, but also like, uh, it, it was a little bit like you can you can somehow source and brand this hot sauce, but you can't you can't actually get us the products that we're 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 trying to purchase from your site. So uh, yeah, I think there's there's you have to be careful about it, right? You don't want to come off as flippant. You don't want those those smaller low value products to feel like uh, I don't know to feel like uh, swag that people don't yep. want. I feel like the, the hot, it was like, I understand where that came from. I can imagine the meeting where that idea came up, but it came off, especially because it came out of the blue, out of nowhere. It's not like it was included with my order when it, when it arrived. That might've been a little bit more, I don't mm -hmm. know. And in this case, it's like you, you actually shipped a whole other package just to send me hot sauce. I didn't want, uh, I don't know. It, feel, it felt a little weird. Yeah, I would say that definitely is a little weird. And I assume that that hot sauce had absolutely no relation to the actual products that no. you bought anyway. Uh, it was, a, it's it's a clothing company. <laughs> okay, yeah, exactly. So, not normally in the market of selling hot sauce, yeah. <laughs> Unless it's a, like a moisture wicking clothing company that proves how resistant it is to the sweat made induced by spicy foods. Maybe that's just a personal problem, but well, anyway, no, before we not. go too far off on a tangent, <laughs> something else that did pique my interest from the Deloitte survey, and we kind of touched on this so far is that the shopping window for the holiday is both earlier and shorter than ever before, moving all the way back up into the late stages of October and Deloitte slating that it's 5.8 weeks as opposed to around six and a half. So with the current financial climate certainly impacting consumer spending habits, do you think that these super ultra mega promotional days are the leading driver of shopping earlier and shopping shorter? Or do you think it's just, you know, trends over time? Yeah, I think that we have seen consumers get a little bit savvier. I think everybody knows at this point that Black Friday deals are not necessarily the best deals of the season. Mm. Um, that used to be the thing, right? Is that even when people were having, when brands were having these promotions early in the season, a lot of people would still hold out and they're thinking maybe it'll get better before Black Friday or on Black Friday. Um, and I think that everybody knows now that, uh, you know, and, and brands are, are they're, you know, they're very good about communicating this, that th they will say this is the best uh, price of the year for this product, mm. which I think is is just like, just be honest, like, that's the kind of transparency that people are looking for. If you are, if you know, you're not going to lower the price on Black Friday, tell people and they might be more likely to order it now. Maybe it's spreading out some of the cost of their gift shopping. And they're like, Oh, I was going to get that for my, you know, my, my partner, my family member, whatever, early in the year, uh, then you don't have to worry about it. And I think, uh, I, I think that that is partially what's driving it. And the other thing is, I, I think that um, just the, to your point, the, the holiday season has extended, uh, right? Where we basically go in in the, in America anyway, we basically go straight from Halloween into holiday shopping. So as soon as those uh, the you blow out the jack o' lantern candles, uh, folks do start yeah. looking for deals and start thinking about the, planning their holiday shopping. So again, if you uh, are a brand who is willing to do the the you know lead with a low price early in the season, that is a way to get a lot of people interested. I think and. and and get people, you know, commit, you know, once they, once they purchased it, they're committed to, to that as a holiday gift. And I think that there is starting to be a little bit of a competition between brands to see mm. who can get those deals out sooner um, so that they can lock in those consumer dollars. Because obviously some of, some of, some people might be swayed if you're just barely started thinking about gifting and an email pops into your inbox with a great deal of something that seems like a great fit for a gift. Uh, maybe you'll choose that thing, even if it wasn't, you know, on your radar uh, and you might not have picked it if you were just uh, Black Friday shopping, for example. 
what a novel novel concept transparency into pricing in order to get customers to buy <laughs> products I just think it's it's it demonstrates the consumer you know the reality that consumers are pretty savvy shoppers mm-hmm. these days um and uh yeah if you one great way to get people to to hit that buy button is to communicate this is not going to get any cheaper <laughs> Yeah, we have a million tools at our disposal today as consumers in order to help us find what that bottom price is. You know, we're just a simple Google search away of finding, you know, 10% off, 25% off, racing to the bottom and from these retailers. So I think that there's definitely availability out there for uh, retailers to start disclosing those prices at an earlier date and making it known that it's not going to be dropping any further in order to secure that business. But before we move on, are there any other trends that stood out to you? One other trend out of this Deloitte survey that I just wanted to highlight is um, I think that when we talk about the sort of the recession or the looming recession, Mm. the pending recession (laughs) and inflation, there's a lot of um, our instinct is to assume that, you know, higher income uh, households are going to continue to keep spending and are Mm -hmm. less impacted. Although obviously um, in just in the past few weeks, we've seen lots of layoffs at tech companies, which are obviously higher income households uh, tend to be. So, but I, I, the one thing that Deloitte called out was that lower income households are also um, feeling uh, more confident. So despite what you read in the news and despite what you read about inflation and things like, uh, you know, people cutting back on their grocery spending, um, Deloitte, according to Deloitte, lower income households are uh, planning to spend 25% more this year than in, in previous years. So I do think that there's, despite everything happening with the economy, people are feeling good in this sort of late slash post-pandemic phase. Um, and uh, they're going to figure out how to make this holiday meaningful after we've had so much uncertainty for the past couple of years. That is a really interesting insight from the Deloitte survey. And I wonder if that kind of echoes some of the data that we've been seeing about people cutting costs across some of the other sectors, such as dining <laughs> out and subscription yep. services, things of that nature, in order to prepare for this holiday period and to be able to give back a little bit more than they were during the COVID years. Yeah, 100%. We also know that, you know, there were there were stimulus checks for a while. The stock market was doing well. There were ways that folks were were making a lot more money over the past couple of years and not also not spending as much because we weren't traveling, we weren't going out as often. Um, so there might just be, uh, this might just be a little bit of the remnants of some of that savings that is now going to start flowing into the economy, um, despite the inflation <laughs> and other problems. No, it's another interesting insight that was on the Deloitte survey is that they talked about the number of items that people were buying as gifts. And this is just something that I noticed as you know, I grew up that the amount of gifts under my tree seemed to be less and less every year, but that's just because the ticket prices of these items seem to go up. So I think that it's definitely uh, related in that circumstance. We're going to start seeing a lot more people gravitate towards one or two special things that are really going to make or break someone's holiday season, as opposed to a ton of puzzles and you know, toys and gifts. And- yeah, I I think that part of that is our the the place that technology and the tech industry sits in mm. our culture is that those those items are necessarily more expensive. Um, whether it is a phone or a tablet or a game console or whatever, they're not. You're not. There's not something in the you know sub fifty dollar range that qualifies as technology <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> I mean, unless you're going with some really really inexpensive phones. But I think that that's part of it. I think that 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 has driven the cost up, and I I do think that people understand whether you're, you know, a young person or just another family member, it's like, if you're giving somebody a 
500 to $1,000 device, mm -hmm. uh, but it's something that they really want and are not buying for themselves, that feels really meaningful. And I, I do, I agree. I think that the focus is more on those like larger ticket items that feel more meaningful over just mm -hmm. having a lot of boxes with stuff that you may not care about. Great. So we we went through and we sifted through all the data from, you know, insider intelligence and Deloitte, but I want to talk about some of the like real life examples that are prevalent to the ho holiday shopping period. And this one comes from one of our clients, American Express. They're actually going to be hosting their 13th annual small business Saturday on November 26th. But this time there's a little bit of a twist. They're teaming with TikTok's Shop Small Accelerator. And Adam, can, can you just like help our listeners explain what this means? Are they providing choreography to local business owners so that they can too make it to TikTok's front page? <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't think that that is part of the, <laughs> the asset bundle, but maybe it should be for future Next years. One. Here's how to make a viral TikTok video. Um, you know, I, it, I think that actually is not the worst idea. I think as we talk about a lot, uh, I think that, um, small business owners obviously are so concerned with the basic operations of their small business, because very often they're the only ones who are doing, you know, both the, the managing the books, but they also have to do the marketing. Right. So mm -hmm. I actually think anything that, um, for brands like, American Express that are really invested in small business, anything you can do to help support them in that, I think is, uh, is, uh, super, uh, super impactful. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I, it's, it's anything that is, that helps elevate business, small business owners out of the day-to-day -day doldrums of having to manage the supply chain questions yep. and, and the books, I think can be super helpful. Of course, managing the books is an important part of the, the task <laughs> too. So if you're part of the toolkit for small business mm -hmm. owners, um, helping them streamline is obviously always top of mind, but especially as we come down to the holiday season, uh, you know, their mind will turn to marketing and, and right. um, small business Saturday is obviously part of that, but it's not just about showing up in the, you know, listings for small business Saturday. It's about mm -hmm. how do you stand out and make an impression uh, with consumers. Yeah. And we always talk about this, like product discovery today is inherently social. So like giving these small businesses an outlet to make their products, their services discoverable across probably the leading social platform of the moment um, is a huge boost to these business owners. And obviously they're going to be supplying them with tools on how to make the right TikToks, how to upload some SKUs onto their Shop Now platform, which is through an integration with Shopify, as well as start to experiment more with live shopping uh, functionality on TikTok. I know it hasn't really taken hold in the US the same way we have seen across some Eastern markets, but I do think that this is a good intermediary to get more business owners onto the platform and start allowing consumers to uh, have a more natural engagement and interaction with them. Yeah, I think this is, again, the kind of thing that often falls to the bottom of a small business owner's priority list, mm -hmm. which is figuring out how to sell on all of these social platforms, which right. I know is important, but especially because of the impact of app tracking transparency and how there used to be a very direct funnel of ads on Facebook or Instagram into uh, purchases that a lot of people built their entire business around. That whole yep. thing is out the window, of course. So I think it now has become a lot more complicated again. They also have to look at other platforms like TikTok as places to, to market themselves and also sell maybe. Uh, and I think that, you know, again, it's small business owners have so much on their plate mm -hmm. that anything, anything, if there is a, you know, if, if, 
that that simple guide of how to how to do things on TikTok is probably incredibly valuable for them um, because they might use TikTok as consumers, but figuring out how to use it as a business platform is yep. an entirely different question. And again, it's not you know it's it's probably the tenth thing on their to do list every week. And now they might know they need to get around to it ahead of the holiday <laughs> season, and it's the perfect time to help support them in endeavors like that. And perfect time is the perfect word because like how fortuitous that Small Business Saturday falls right into the prime shopping window of the year for both Amazon and the independent shops alike. I think that there's definitely been a greater desire on the consumer side to support local businesses and underserved business owners. So I anticipate seeing a pretty big uptick in foot traffic, site visits, and then ultimately sales as well. Yeah, I, I think that the the this is a sort of slow build trend, I feel, but consumers obviously uh, in many parts of the country do really want to support their their sm local small businesses. Mm -hmm. They understand that, uh, you know, those people are part of their community and are, uh, you know, meaningfully giving back to the community. So I feel like it's uh, it, it's a two-pronged message yep. around both help supporting the small businesses and also helping drive consumers and remind them that, you know, again, <laughs> maybe some of those smaller items that are outside of the, the big tech gifts that sit under the tree should be uh, unique things that can only be found um, mm. from these smaller businesses whether they're local brick and mortar stores that also have, you know, social and online presences, or if they're online only, right, as increasingly most small businesses are. Uh, I think that that is something that uh, it, that can provide the sort of unique spin on some of those smaller gifts that make them feel as meaningful as those big ticket purchases. For sure. I got some authentic Staten Island Mutadel coming your guys' way <laughs> for a little bit of regional authenticity. Um, but that's that's great. So I want to move on to some quicker hits that I think are relevant for the festive period and investigate some of the social commerce features that some of the partners in the space are rolling out. I would say that one for sure, AR Commerce got a huge boost this week as Snapchat inked a partnership with Amazon Fashion, enabling users to try on and buy branded glasses and sunglasses glasses via AR lenses. And I think like cosmetics, eyewear, this has been a staple of the AR try on um, space for a while now, but what I think is most interesting is that there's a partnership between Snap and Amazon now. 100%. I think that this is a testament to the AR tools uh, that Snap has built being the mm. best in the industry, which I think that we would say that they are. Um, and uh, interesting to see Amazon uh, branching out. You know, they've tried a bunch of these sorts of things on their own site. There are AR try on for certain categories and certainly the ability to look at like things like furniture in your room um, in AR on Amazon. Interesting to see them start to experiment with social platforms and realizing that mm. they maybe can't do everything themselves and need to love even Amazon needs to leverage some of these other platforms to meet consumers where they are with the tools that they're used to engaging with. Um, so I think we'll definitely keep our eye on this and see if this is just something that lasts through the holidays or if this partnership expands next year. Um, I think if it expands, that it will be very telling about how successful it was. <laughs> Well, unless you've been living under a rock or too busy spinning to notice, Peloton has had a rough few months following the post-lockdown <laughs> decline of remote gym business and increasing competition in the hybrid workout market. It is perhaps understandable that the company is trying something new with a new e-commerce widget that appeared on some users' Peloton's bike screen, allowing subscribers to shop for apparel worn by the instructor. In its current iteration, people are simply encouraged to buy what they see their Peloton instructors wearing, but one could easily see how this might be expanded into a full-fledged ad product for Peloton. Adam, I, I've got a two-part query for you with this. This is cool, but where else can you see this technology being introduced? I think a layup here is maybe Mirror and Lululemon and their integration and partnership. 
And do you think that this bug that showed up in the Peloton app could be used for advertising in these environments outside of commerce integrations? Uh, yeah, so I think you're totally right about Lululemon and Mirror. I would be, I know that they've been, they've recently been rolling out more integration between mm. Lululemon, the, the stores and Mirror. I would be very surprised if they didn't just take this idea and, and mimic it, <laughs> uh, frankly. Um, in terms of, of larger advertising, the one thing that I want to call out that I feel like is a little weird about this mm -hmm. is that, at least from my understanding, is that it is only available when you're on the bike. And it basically, I think you tap the thing and it sends you an email with the links to check out because you're not going to do all your checkout on the bike, even though theoretically <laughs> you could. But it's it's, it's going to send you the link to the outfit and then you can add it to your cart and check out on your, on your computer or your phone. Um, which I think is a totally fine workflow as a way to test this. Um, but that is an attempt to monetize the users they have already monetized the most by selling them hardware. Mm. I think it would be almost more interesting if this were showing up in the Peloton digital app, those users who are only paying the monthly fee to stream the content but haven't invested in the bike. Obviously, I think I can I can see the argument, the folks who have the bike or eventually the treadmill, I'm assuming that'll show up there or the rower, those will show up on those things as well. Eventually, they're probably higher income and, you know, obviously more in the Peloton ecosystem. I think that all makes sense. But on the other hand, those users have already given you a ton of money. So like maybe look at the users who you're monetizing at a lower rate as a way to 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 uh, increase that. So that's the that's my first my first point. The second point around larger advertising, I think that if if they were to expand this in categories outside of their own apparel, I think that it would probably be a negative experience for people on the bike on the who are device owners. Agreed. Whereas if you are just streaming, you could probably make that argument that uh you're only paying I think the stream the the streaming the digital only membership is actually cheaper than the membership if you do have uh, one mm -hmm. of the connected fitness products. Um there's an argument to be made there that you're already receiving a great deal and this is just a way for them to boost their revenue per user. I feel like that is a more acceptable experience and also it fits a little bit better with the idea of, you know, it, it's closer to television in its traditional right. sense and I feel like consumers will be more accepting of it. If there starts to be ads for totally unrelated products on a $1,500 to $3,000 bike that you bought, <laughs> that starts to feel a little gross. Um, so I'm not saying that they won't do it because as we know, Peloton is pretty desperate right now, but I think that would be a bad move and pretty destructive to the brand. Yeah, I'm waiting for out-of-home billboards in the studio so that uh, my rides we could be <laughs> sponsored by, your name goes here. Right. But no, right. I, I think to your point, I think the digital arena is a lot more safe of an environment for this kind of technology to be introduced, especially at that lower price point. What I do fear, however, is a subscription model that is tiered with advertising for these workout classes. I think it'll lose some of that premium nature that the brand has able to maintain despite some of its market woes. And I don't know if it's a model that would ultimately be successful in the long term. So TBD on where that stands. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I do. I, there is, you know, Peloton's always tried to maintain a premium brand. Obviously, that's a little bit of a struggle for them now. I, mean, I don't know <laughs> that they're going to come through this surviving as a premium brand. I still maintain that. I, I still think the thing that happens to Peloton eventually, uh, probably not 
not definitely not before the end of the year, but that possibly happens next year or the year after, is that uh, they get out of the hardware business and just mm. license that content uh, probably to Amazon, uh, and that Peloton yep. classes become a thing that you get as part of your Amazon Prime membership. I feel like that is at this point the end game for Peloton. Amazon Prime, not Walmart Plus. <laughs> I know that's well, Peloton has been cozying up to Amazon. And I think that that is for a reason, right? Mm. Um, and, and I think they would Amazon would probably continue to sell the, the the hardware for a while. But I also don't know that, you know, the, the logistics around that is very complicated and very different from other kinds of things that Amazon likes to sell. So I, I do think that in the long run, it's, uh, uh, hey, we'll sell <laughs> this other equipment made by other people. And also, you can just drop an iPad on this bike and, and, and watch. <laughs> content if you want to. Uh, I feel like, uh, sorry, Peloton fans, I know that's sacrilegious, uh, but I feel like the Peloton bubble has burst. I feel like they've mm -hmm. really saturated the market for the hardware. They don't have a good business model for just the, the content. And But you can imagine that content being pretty valuable and pretty sticky if for a bundle like like Prime. Right. Um, and you know, it, it also, it's a thing that Apple has now, Apple producing their Apple Fitness Plus content as part of their bundle. Um, Amazon doesn't have that right now. Um, so I, I think that Amazon is sort of a prime uh, prime uh -huh. acquisition tar, uh, acquirer for uh, for Peloton. Uh, my other wild card theory, but I, I think that the Amazon relationship is is probably rules this out, is that at some point Netflix would just buy the, pro, the Peloton content as a way to bolster Netflix subscriptions, which I still think they should do. But I think that Peloton is cozying up to Amazon. Yeah, I think that probably is a little bit of a left field theory, but it's one that I'll be following closely. And I think it aligns with something that we're going to come on to now, and that's revenue diversification across these streaming services. For one, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, they're all pursuing live sports content, giving advertisers a new window to reach cord-cutting households. Um, Apple, they partnered. They have Friday Night Baseball now. Amazon doing the same with Thursday Night Football. And Netflix, even though they don't have a sports league, they actually were in negotiations to bring the World Surf League under its umbrella. Those ultimately collapsed, but they do have a proven model with Formula One and Drive to Survive in order to popularize sports content, just given the scale of the audience that they ultimately have there. So those are just three examples in like the sports streaming world that allowed these streaming services to diversify their revenue model, kind of what you were alluding to with Peloton on and Netflix, but let's keep it with Netflix. What What's actually happening with their ads? Like, are we actually going to be able to see our brands in these spaces soon? Well, the, the Netflix with ads tier has launched, right? It's mm. not available with all content yet. Um, Why? They're, they're, they're still negotiating with a lot of the, the licensed content. Obviously, all Netflix uh -huh. originals have it. It's the licensed content that is still a little bit of a sticking point. I think eventually that will all get ironed out, mostly because everybody else is also launching their own ad-supported tiers. And mm. we'll have to go back to the drawing board as part of that process to to renegotiate their contracts with, with all of the studios and all of the sort of downstream folks who who um, receive uh, residuals as part of that those licensing agreements. That's really the sticking point at this point. But to your point, um, I think part of what's driving this is the diversification of live sports. Um, mm -hmm. It is, you know, Netflix is really in the early stages. <laughs> All of Netflix's sacred cows are now out the window, right? <laughs> they never <laughs> used to do ads. They never used to do live. They're looking at, they're they've announced a live comedy special. They're looking at licensing live sports. Um, they're really at this point looking for all sources of revenue. But same thing with Apple. I don't think Apple is is grasping at straws in the same way that Netflix is. But I do think that um, moving into live sports, professional sports are structured with ad breaks in them. And mm. as long as those sports are, uh, you know, not as long as 
as entire leagues are not moving to streaming services, right. they're not going to restructure the way that games are produced. So um, there are ad slots and uh, you might as well monetize them, right? It would be very silly to just not to have this sort of dead air um, where there was nothing happening. So that is, you know, driving Apple into the, the video advertising space for the first time. It's going to be an expansion point for Netflix. And then of course, Amazon um, obviously is a little bit ahead of the game in terms of both sports licensing and yep. also the, the ad product in that, that space. So we, we talked about like sports, gaming, fitness, these other verticals that these brands are starting to dive into in order to diversify their revenue streams. But Disney's got a pretty good handle, at least on the sports part of the equation with ESPN. What are they doing with the Disney Plus side of things that is uh, bringing in other parts of their ecosystem? Yeah, there's really two things that are happening. One is they launched an exclusive early access sale um, for Disney Plus subscribers to uh, holiday merchandise. Cool. Most of that merchandise is going to be available for non-subscribers to purchase at some point, but some of it was also limited edition. So uh, it will probably sell out uh, during the, the Disney Plus subscriber exclusive window. This makes total sense. I can't imagine there was a lot of people buying, especially these like high-priced collectible Disney <laughs> things who are not subscribed to Disney Plus. So it's a very it, 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 it seems like a big deal, but it also feels a little tentative to me. The other thing that they've started talking about is uh, the idea of connecting your Disney Plus uh, viewing and sort of the recommendations on the platform to the theme parks. This is something we've been talking about since all the way back when Disney Plus was merely rumored to, to be yeah. an upcoming streaming service. Um, but the idea that if you say go to Disneyland or Disney World and spend a lot of time in the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge land, that that would increase the likelihood of seeing Star Wars recommendations on your Disney Plus home mm. screen. It's totally obvious. Uh, I don't know. My big question is just like, how impactful is that really? Right? <laughs> like, I yeah. don't know uh, how what that data is actually going to look like. And I think until I don't think Disney knows, frankly, until they actually start pulling it all together. Um, but it does make a lot of sense. And I do think that over time, you can start to develop these really comprehensive consumer profiles yep. and that we might start to see that pulled into things like uh, the availability of merchandise, right? Like if they could use the data from not only from your Disney Plus viewing, but also from your theme park visits or your cruise, uh, your Disney cruises uh, trips to inform things like, hey, we know you really like Star Wars. So you're getting access to this Star Wars merchandise ahead of other people mm -hmm. because you watched all of Andor within the, you know within the week of it coming out. Um, that's the kind of thing that starts to feel a little more tangible and valuable to me, and the kind of thing that only Disney can do. Yeah, exactly. That first example of like you know going to the parks and seeing recommendations based on your behavior, based on foot traffic, is probably one that's not going to be that lucrative for consumers. But the reverse, maybe you watch all episodes of Andor twenty times, and when you go to the park, you have an exclusive Star Wars experience unlocked for you because you are one of their most devoted fans that they have. So yeah, that insight into data. Let's see if Disney actually gives us any insight into those consumers. But <laughs> yeah. uh, I think that's a really interesting play for them. Well, it does. You can imagine like like. Right. Disney has has ad platforms. The, the Disney Plus ad supported tier is coming soon. And I do think that eventually that is all of that data flows into the ability to target consumers in yep. a more intelligent way. So obviously we know of those massive, you know, 
tech companies. Disney's the only one with theme parks, unless there's a Bezos land being built somewhere out there. But we do know that Amazon does make private label products. And we know that Netflix is starting to dive into and is in the nascent stages of signing some licensing deals. So what are the other ways that you see these major players starting to diversify their revenue stream more akin to that of the Disney model? Yeah, I think it's it's about pulling together the pieces of the ecosystem, the consumer product side of things. Uh, you know, Netflix has experimented with licensing there. I wouldn't be mm. surprised if we see things from Amazon eventually around. It really feels like now that um, Rings of Power was successful, they've really mm. found their footing again with Prime Video. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some licensing down the road for for especially around Lord of the Rings. Um, and Netflix has also experimented with uh, experiential activations. Um, there was mm. a Stranger Things pop up here in New York. I think right now, both of those things feel very nascent compared to a company like Disney, but especially as we see Disney build out the the sort of strengthening the ties between their ecosystem and making that sort of consumer profile really the center of the entire ecosystem and the, the, the data that is pulled in from all of the different pieces, I think we'll see others start to copy that approach. Obviously, it's going to take them a, a little while longer. They're not going to, I don't think anybody is immediately going to go into permanent theme parks in the way that Disney Disney has not anytime soon anyway, but I do think that that you know as with uh, as with many other industries, Disney is a, is a leader in the space. They have been for a long time, and I think that as they show success with that those ecosystem ties, we'll see lots of other players start to either build, buy, or partner to build out their own mm. ecosystems in that same way. So whether you're going to a theme park with your family or you're buying a physical product to give to your loved one, the one thing that we at the lab unequivocally do not recommend that you give this holiday season is cryptocurrency. As you may have heard, FTX is now bankrupt, and many are touting this as crypto's Lehman Brothers moment. Last Tuesday, there were reports that Binance, one of the other leading crypto exchanges, was set to bail out Sam Bankman-Fried's company, but pulled out 24 hours later due to regulatory due diligence, as they quoted. Now, crypto has long struggled to convince regulators, investors, ordinary customers that is trustworthy, and FTX's precipitous fall and Binance's subsequent pullout have unsurprisingly sent ripples throughout the market. Bitcoin, Ethereum both plunged in their valuation last week as many consumers scramble to withdraw funds. And now with that recommendation of don't buy crypto, Adam, I must ask you, have we hit the trough of disillusionment for crypto or do we need to invent a new term for how low this has actually gone? <laughs> you know, I definitely think we're in the trough of disillusionment for crypto. I think that this is um, because of crypto's financial ties. This is mm. going to be worse than most technologies. Um, I think that we're this crypto winter is not going to last one winter. I think that we've got it's there's going to be several years where consumers uh, as a whole are going to be very skeptical of crypto. I honestly think that at this point we need to see strong federal regulation um, mm. and guidelines before consumers are going to accept crypto again as a sort of mainstream concern. Um, I think, you know, that's not going to be true for everything. There are obviously still folks investing in uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin. Right. But for 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 most folks, I think that it is this is this is a big flashing warning sign and something significant is going to have to change from a from a in a known uh, entity that they trust, whether that is the government or it's from more established financial providers getting into the crypto space in a way that they can you know, the consumers trust and 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 can rely on. 
probably both of those things are going to be necessary yeah. before we're going to be talking about crypto on a weekly basis like we were in the summer of 2021. And what about brands that have previously said they were going to accept Bitcoin payment or whatever kind of cryptocurrency? Do you think they're going to renege on that, you know, not knowing what the long-term implications might be? Or do you think they're going to take the gamble and uh, start? And I keep... mean, accepting crypto as payment was always incredibly risky because yeah. of how much it fluctuated. That was always a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> I think the larger question is brands who are activating in the space and in, in, mm. uh, outside of the payments. I know that Nike, for example, who we know was investing really heavily in the NFT space, just started rolling out their dot swoosh uh, platform, which is some kind of NFT mm. digital sneaker trading platform. Seems just like a really bad idea right now. Like I'm sure there are lots of people who work really, really hard on that and were eager, eager to get it out, but I can't imagine it's going to be well received right now. So, yeah. um, you know, I don't. Again, it's not forever, but I think for the foreseeable future, uh, crypto is something for most brands to steer away from. Yeah, blockchain technology as payment probably not that hot at the moment. I would say other use cases are definitely dominating the way that people want to engage and interact with this emergent technology. Yep. That will do it for the holiday shopping special here on Floor 9. As always, Adam, thank you for being here. Thank you for hosting, Ryan. Of course. And if you're looking for more lab content, be sure to visit our Medium page at IPG Lab and follow us on Elon's Word Void at IPG Lab. Until next time, bye-bye.